Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome and thank you so much for joining us again on the Education on Fire podcast. Today I'm chatting to James Shillamore and he's an English lead and lower phase leader at Stamshaw Junior School in Portsmouth. Now James has been teaching in Portsmouth schools for 13 years and he's also published his own book Off the Post which he's going to talk about in a little bit more detail. In James's school they've been using Marvelous Me which is the parent engagement app which we've covered previously in the podcast so I thought it'd be interesting to hear a little bit about how that gets used and how the overall ethos of their school related to English and, and James's work there is really being able to, to support what they're doing. Now, one of the things which is a growing part of Education on Fire is our our community. We have a private Facebook group and also there are people who signed up to our email and and got our free download resources. And I posted in our Facebook group, um, if there was anyone within the community who wanted to share something they were doing or something which they, they really enjoyed about the show... I'm delighted to say that Luke Springall got in touch and recorded us just a little short message about what his vision is, what he's involved in within the education world and and what he loves about education on fire. So thank you, Luke, for getting in touch. Straight after, you'll be able to hear my conversation with James. Hello, Mark. My name's Luke Springall and I'm uh, calling you from Sweden where I currently live and teach. I've been teaching now for 25 years and I've been listening to your podcasts and getting motivated by all the, um, the wonderful topics that you've been covering. And like many people I've been listening to, I've become a bit disillusioned with the education system. I've been looking for somewhere to teach and to send my children that is more concerned with student well-being than it is with academic grades. And despite the slightly more liberal education system here in Sweden, I've still struggled. So I've decided to start my own school, take the big step, uh, and it's called Earth School. It's not up and running yet, but I am in the process of doing so. And the focus of the school will be uh, the students' well-being, health and happiness. And I believe that by focusing on this, that automatically leads to academic success uh, because students are enjoyed and engaged in their learning. And the focus for our nature, our school, will be uh, the natural world, community, a strong curriculum and focusing on emotional intelligence. So if your listeners would like to take a look at earthschool.se, that would be wonderful. And carry on the good work and keep inspiring us through your fantastic podcasts. Thanks very much, Mark. Take care. Hi, James. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. Really delighted to, to be able to chat to you. And we, we have this connection through Marvellous Me. And um, um, I think the parental engagement is really important certainly from an educational point of view, but certainly from my experience as a parent, I think having that direct contact and and that knowledge of, of what's going on always felt very supportive. Yeah, so, so thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, for me, so as someone who works in a school and is trying to find an easy way to contact parents, um, to give praise to the children and to sort of send home simple messages, Marvellous Me was something that we've used for a couple of years in my current school. Um, and I also used it in my old school. Uh, but what I've tried to do this year is to develop that a little bit more. Uh, it's kind of been brought around by some of the COVID restrictions. But uh, what I've done with Marvellous Me is worked with them to try and introduce a digital version of a reading log. 
So as opposed to those paper-based logs that you'd see typically in primary schools, uh, which have a, have a place and they've been used for many years successfully, but we wanted to I wanted to work with Marvelous Me to kind of trial their digital approach. So something they've done is enabled parents to feedback on their child's reading via their app, which actually links to a Microsoft or Google Forms. Um, and it's a, a weekly questionnaire rather than having to write down a comment every time a child reads. Um, I've got two children of my own. Well, I've actually got three children of my own, but two that are at primary school age. And um, I know that sometimes filling in those reading logs can become a little bit laborious and quite hard to know what to write. So that's why we've tried to go towards a, an online questionnaire. And it's still very much in its infancy at the moment, but it is something that I think maybe become more commonplace uh, going forward. I, I really like that idea. One, um, because like I say, you have to keep on top of the, the physical thing. And I think all these things, when they become more streamlined, because you've got certain apps and certain touch points, which just make it easier to be able to do that is important. And I, and I think I even mentioned this on the on the podcast when I was chatting to them before, is, you know, I'm a music um performer but also music teacher and we have that same kind of thing is sort of um, a practice diary in terms of what we've been working at at school the practice they've been doing at home and that kind of connection with parents there um, and we have exactly the same thing some parents want to use it some people don't some people aren't sure because they write the same thing every time and I and I and I thought having that direct contact through an app like that would be brilliant and it sounds like it may even work in the same kind of way so I'll be really intrigued to see how it develops over time yeah I mean what we have found is is it, people have been more willing to give us more feedback. So we've had um, we've had people giving responses that are a lot more in depth. Uh, in those traditional reading diaries, you can be quite restricted by small boxed handwritten comment. But people have, or parents, I should say, have given us a lot more in depth understanding about books their children enjoy, how they've been getting on with their reading. It's been a little bit more of a quicker response rather than waiting for those diaries to be handed in which sometimes they don't come in and with the coronavirus there's been a lot of ups and downs with whether children are allowed to bring things like that into the school so that that's kind of where it came about from really trying to develop something a little bit slicker and something that we can actually you know gain information more quickly so to give an example had a parent put through on the microsoft form via the marvelous me app um, the, the books their children had were far too difficult. So we could respond to that quickly, change that child's book um, and make sure that, you know, the child was on the on the correct level. So it's getting that a little bit more real time feedback from the parents. Um, obviously, it does put a little bit of an added pressure on as a teacher to make sure you're checking that. But it's something that I've found very valuable and also that we can get a lot of data from. Uh, we recently had a school review with some with um, some academy advisors from our um, academy trust and it was something i showed them as some data which is really rich and obviously where it's through microsoft or google forms you're able to kind of pull down spreadsheets charts and, and information instantly so it, it does provide a lot more data than the the old-fashioned written diaries yeah and i and i think also for for parents and that it's an, it's time isn't it it's that kind of oh there's I've got five minutes just before I'm picking up and I'll just be on my phone and do it or oh I'm just thinking about it now and I can do that rather than like you say waiting till 
you happen to be at home or you happen to have found the thing. And I think, and I think, I think also that kind of, like you said, the way the data is used and the way you can analyze it and the way it's just at everyone's fingertips, it just makes it more relevant for today. That's kind of the way the world works. It's the way we kind of people want to be engaging. And, and like you said, it probably is a transition, but uh, if, let's say if you're using the app already in terms of having that engagement, then I guess that there is that sort of natural transition then. Yeah, definitely. And what we didn't want was it to be an, yet another app or another thing that we had to ask parents to sign up to. I mean, Marvelous Me is the one parental engagement app that we've got. We don't have any other applications for anything else. Um, so where it runs through that and it's something the parents are already signed up to, um, it's a lot more organic rather than trying to go, right, let's have another app and send out another round of letters and ask people if they want to do this. Um, I mean, one of the challenges I did have was that I've tried to set this up mid-year and I think with things like this, they always work better if, they, if there's something that's an expectation or something you're asking of the parents from the start of the year. You know, so where, where we started with the traditional reading diaries and then we've tried to move it to a digital format, I don't think that's that's been as smooth or successful as it might have been. Uh, but hopefully next year, once it's running from September, it will be something that a lot more parents take up and, and get involved with. Yeah, and like you say, and I, and I guess like you're up and running already. So if you, if you take your kind of um, stage one from September, even though you've got that historical sort of, um, sort of warm-up, as it were, I guess that might even improve that. To, to a higher level than you thought before yeah i hope so so tell us a little bit about um your school and 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 the kind of pupils that you have there in terms of obviously ages and, and the sorts of um, specialisms that you have okay so i work at stamshaw junior school um it's a junior school so it's ages seven to eleven key stage two uh we've got an infant school which is geographically near to our school and feeds into our school and we're part of the same academy trust so um, we work quite closely with them i think it's fair to say the school's had a little bit of a turbulent time in recent history uh, it's gone from being local education authority to one academy chain and then moving to the current academy chain who i work for um, and there was quite a lot of turnover of staff different people coming and going but over the last two years, uh, since the new head teacher took over, um, we've kept hold of some of the really good staff who were there before, but also brought in quite a few new members of staff. The kind of turbulence has died down, We've got a much more settled team there. Uh, it's a small school. We've only got about 230 pupils. Um, if we were running at full capacity, we would probably be near 350, 360 pupils. So we, we've not got as many children there as we would like. But our numbers are growing all the time. Uh, we've worked really hard on our curriculum offer over the last two years. We started from a completely blank slate. We've completely changed our English curriculum. We've completely changed our, all of our wider curriculum. And yeah, we've worked, despite the pandemic over the last two years, we've worked really hard to make the school just a really great place to be. Much more settled staff. As I say, we've, we've really worked hard on the curriculum, making it relevant to the children. And yeah, all in all, we've got happy, successful children who enjoy being there. And we're really proud of, of what we've achieved. Not to say that we haven't got still a long uh, way to go, a long journey to get the school exactly where we want it to be. But um, we've definitely made, we feel, a lot of improvements over the past two years. I mean, it really is a question of, 
all of that it's not prep because of course you're, you're making all those changes already but it's like any project isn't it it's it's kind of the thought process it's putting the systems in place like say it's curriculum it's staff it's everything coming together and then once you like say it starts to get settled and you feel like you've got that cohesion and, and you've got everyone working together then that sort of hockey stick effect of everything suddenly starting to fly because everyone's singing off the same hymn sheet so to speak really makes a big difference and so i think that's really i think it's really great and i think you know a child-centered curriculum is something which i've spoken about before and i think like I say if you can engage at that moment and then with the engagement like I say you've also then been able to get with the parents who marvelous me then you know it sounds like it's a really sort of solid foundation yeah definitely i mean prior to the covid pandemic we were trying to you know really strategically look at how we're going to improve the school but but because of what's happened with covid a lot of the, the things we've had to do as a leadership team and i'm sure my head teacher would agree with me have been operational you know dealing with those things like the risk assessments the health and safety the bubble procedures and all those sorts of things so we feel would be much further down the road with our strategic vision for the school if it hadn't been for the pandemic. But putting that to one side, because you know we don't want to kind of keep sort of going back to that all the time, we do feel like strategically our, our vision is starting to to come together. Um, we're really proud of, as I say, of, of the work we've done so far, and we've got such a, a an enthusiastic and hungry team at the school who are all working really hard. Uh, on that curriculum and on that offer for the for the children uh, parental engagement has been massive for us i think it's fair to say that parental engagement at the school prior to the last two years could have been better um and we're we're very much open door with the parents you know again putting covid to one side we we like to be you know we're very approachable we've got lots of clear lines of communication be it through Marvellous Me, we've got class emails. Um, you know, our parents, I think, are, are very appreciative of the, of the lengths we've gone to to try and keep them uh, well communicated with, uh, particularly over the last lockdown where we had a small amount of children in the building and a, a larger proportion of children at home. Communication really was, was key through that time. Um, we were able to offer our children three hours a day of live teaching via Microsoft Teams. And, you know, we've had a lot of very positive feedback from the parents about how well we kept things going through that remote learning time. Um, a colleague of mine was very, very much at the vanguard of making sure we knew how to use Microsoft Teams, um, how to deliver lessons on there, making sure the children were prepared for how to log in. So, Back in January, when that time unfortunately came that we hoped wasn't going to come, we were already prepared. So within two, within a day or two, we were on Teams delivering lessons and delivering lessons to the children who were in as part of the vulnerable and key worker groups. So we did absolutely fantastically with uh, that remote learning offer. And I think that it was very much, as you say, because of that preparation work, we were we were ready to do that. Yeah, and I think um, all of these things we're talking about is, is like I say, it's part of an exploration, it's part of a journey. And I think one of the things which has struck me in a few interviews I've done recently is the fact that it's so much better when you come up with a plan and despite your current circumstances or despite funding restrictions or whatever it happens to be, you find a way to make what you want happen, um, whether it's a digital strategy, whether it's, like say, a curriculum 
it means that you're then creating the school and the environment and and the climate of learning that that, that you want and like I say it, all of that has different elements as you go through but it sounds like like you know the world works for you in some ways and like I say that preparation like I say when you hit January it's suddenly a different place of work and a different place of learning but those sort of previous thoughts those previous plans all those strategies then suddenly come into place um talk to me a little bit about um reading in, in english i know that's one of your one of your passions one of your real strengths so, so take us a little bit in, in into the way that works for you okay so in my previous job i used to work in a much larger primary school in the sense of portsmouth uh, so it was a larger school with a much larger team and the core subjects are english and maths very much led by a team of people uh, due, due mainly to the, the numbers of children we had on roll and how big a role it would be to complete on your own. Um, at Stamshaw Junior School, where I work now, we're a much smaller team. So English is kind of, well, it is my my thing. It's my subject that, the subject that I lead. And one thing we wanted to focus on, you know, English is, is such a big animal to try and contain. You know, you've got handwriting, you've got spelling, you've got phonics, you've got reading, you've got writing. You almost have to pick like where you're going to start and for me it had to start with reading um we were lucky enough to be able to relocate our library to the center of our school and make it a real focal point for the children so we've got a very colorful library now it's got lovely displays we've got plenty of books in there of all different genres different authors and we've made reading almost the biggest priority within the school or i certainly have um, so what we did is we've redesigned the curriculum for English so that it was all based around class books. So every child in our school over their four year journey will read 24 high quality books or have read to them 24 high quality texts uh, that we have hand selected as a team. We try to link them to our history and geography topics or science topics where we can. And we've got a, a very diverse range of authors genres within that 24 books making sure that we've got literary heritage so it's not just from the modern day but there's there's older books newer books a, a very wide range of texts over that time and then what we do is we base a lot of our writing curriculum around those texts so if we're teaching a writing objective we don't teach it in isolation it links back to that class book that the children are reading so they're very invested in that book they're very invested in the characters in that book. So when they're writing, it doesn't feel like something they're just being told to do. It fits in with the whole theme of their learning and the book that they're studying at that time. Uh, we've tried really hard to make our children a bit more aware of authors. Um, I did a survey of our pupils when I started the role and most children could only name two or three authors. You could probably guess which ones they are. Um, so it's your Roald Dahls, your David Walliams, Jeff Kinney, you know, Diary of a Wimpy Kid and J.K. Rowling. They, they were the authors that came up. So I've been very clear with staff and as a team, we've worked really hard to make sure that when we're reading to the children, we're, we're telling them a little bit about that author, getting to know that author. And then that maybe inspires them to go on and, and seek out other books by that same author. So, yeah, we've worked really hard to make sure reading is at the heart of what we do. We have staff rec recommending books to children and we have that displayed in our library area. And what I always find from my, from my experience of teaching is it's the books that children have read to them that they get the most into. 
okay because it, it takes away that pressure of them having to read it so it's so important that we don't let go of reading to children and that's something we're really pushing in our school making sure that even as they get to the end of key stage two into year six the teachers still take that time to read to children each day yeah i really like that and and it really comes across as that sort of like say that central theme <laughs> that central feeling and um I think both in terms of that emotional connection, the the relevance of the books, the I think the community of doing it together, um, like say having the library centrally within the school, it, you know, it, the whole thing then sort of draws draws everyone in one in one place, which I think I think is incredibly important. And I think certainly, from my experience a long time ago now of, of primary school was that kind of you sort of went off and you you did your own thing, and that and I remember those certain books that were read to to us, but also what an enjoyment that was in the way it does it and i can i love the expansion of, of you knowing you know those 24 books this journey this is how you're going to bring it in i can i can really understand how that's been so successful yeah and i think it's important to say mark that it's um it's a working document you know those 24 books are not set in stone so as, as time goes by and as as our teachers maybe uh, read those books and refine the topics those books might change but the 24 books that we read at the moment uh, we think it's a really high quality language rich uh, list. What we need to make sure is that they're not the only 24 books that the children will ever read. That has to be the inspiration to go on and read another 24 books in their own time and then another 24 books. So it's a starting point for us, that 24 books. And we need to make sure that they are really top quality so that it gives that inspiration to the children yeah i i love that and, and i think like you said it's it's the different authors in the genres and and just piquing that interest isn't it i mean i know myself it was it was suddenly coming across autobiographies when i was um certainly in my teenage years sort of having done reading at primary school in inverted commas and then suddenly realizing that oh i'm really interested in this person i've seen what they do and their journey and their backstory and the if it was, um, I think um, Linford Christie was one of the earlier ones that I read in his story to becoming obviously an, an Olympic athlete. And it was like, then it was much more not about reading. It was about learning and the en engagement in, in, in what was going on. And that just happened to be my personal experience. And like I say, over the course of time and, and that wide range of touch points to get going, it just needs that ignition, doesn't it, for a, an author, a type of book, a type of part of the world and, and then the world then becomes your oyster for that exploration after that yeah definitely and one thing i always say to people is you know try not to be snobby for want of a better word about the sort of literature we want children to read i mean it's very easy to give children a list of books and say these these are the books we want you to read in key stage two but we have to tap into what their interests are and if it is non-fiction if it is biographies if it is something to do with one of their hobbies or interests then for me there is no harm in that the key to comprehension, the key to understanding of text is language development and learning new words. It's very hard to understand a text if you don't understand what the words mean. So we make vocabulary teaching uh, a big part of what we do. Learning words in isolation then learning in different contexts before we then go on to see them in the class book that we're reading. So for me, if a child is reading and they're learning new vocabulary and learning new words, whether that's in fiction, non-fiction, or, or whatever genre of book that they enjoy, then that's increasing their knowledge and increasing their understanding. So for me, that's that's a win either way. So tell me a little bit about 
the book that that you wrote where where did that come from what did that inspiration come and and, and how does that sort of fit within your teaching uh, career as well okay so i wrote a book called off the post it was quite a few years ago now it was in 2013 so it was about eight years ago and i wanted to combine a couple of things that i was interested in so so one was football very much at the time um and one was about online safety and e-safety and kind of mistakes that young people can make online when they kind of forget themselves for a moment and forget that they're actually their actions are being recorded i mean we've seen so much recently in the press about sports stars who or or celebrities whose tweets or messages from many years ago have been brought into the public eye and you know as much as perhaps those things shouldn't have been said I I do feel for those people sometimes because I was lucky enough to live out my teenage years not in the public eye and not published on the internet Uh, so this book is all about you know public if whatever you say is published so the book follows on a theme of a boy who's got his chance to play in a cup final but because he writes something disparaging about another child online he gets that chance taken away from him so it's kind of about learning those life lessons of whatever you say online stays online, which is a big message we try and say out to children with e-safety, um, but mixed in with a little bit of uh, football knowledge. It was a, the book is written in the first person, so it's me writing as that character. Um, and it is a little bit semi-autobiographical, I would say. So some of the details in there are almost things that I've experienced in my own life and I kind of... I've changed them and I've, I've made it more fitting to that character. But a lot of it was more about me remembering experiences that I had as a teenager and perhaps some of the mistakes I made or or some of the things that I'd done putting that into a book. So that was my inspiration behind writing it. Um, I unfortunately haven't written another book since. I have I have tried to and I have had some ideas that I've put forward and I have written quite a bit of poetry. But um I've now got three of my own children, so I know it's a bit of a, a bit of a poor excuse. But once you've got three children, or even one child, it's very difficult. You have to put in a lot of hours to write a book. Yeah, and and that's it. You, you know that your time is focused on the here and now, and and like that changes, doesn't it? Depending on your per- on your circumstances, and so um, yeah. But I I just I just love the fact of that the drawing on the experience, and also you know any way to get that those kind of messages across to people especially at an early or as early an age as you, as you can it's really important because it all seems so innocent and so harmless until like you say it's almost too late because you've already said it and once it's out there it's out there and and i think just making sure that children understand that from the moment they have any access to anything like that which has sort of got their name attached to it um or even anyone else's i guess for that matter is um is key and I, and, I, and i think it's it's incredibly important but it's also very possible you know it's it's no different in some ways in terms of being safe on the roads and and things that we teach even very young children you know there are certain things which you need to be very clear about and as long as you can get them to understand that and realize that the the, the the dangers but but also the fact that if you just work within the parameters which are going to support you then it can be a very positive experience as well i, I think i think yeah knowledge is king isn't it that's really the i guess the main point yeah definitely i mean that's so i wanted it to be a bit of an educational book in that res, in that respect that it was teaching that message of e-safety but i also hoped it would be an interesting and entertaining book so 
it's got all those links to to football it's got a little bit of links to music history because you know it's something else i'm interested in so to give you a bit of a flavor of the book it begins with um the main character deciding if whether he wins the cup final he's going to have alvis presley's favorite sandwich in celebration um so there, there's lots of little links to things that i found interesting and things that i've enjoyed hearing about over the years um and yeah and when i wrote that book it was it was very interesting i got a lot of the children who i worked with at the time were quite um you know amazed that a teacher had written a book and you know it's sort of i hope without sounding too sort of uh egotistical or boastful i hope that it it may be inspired a few a few children that i talk to think you know you give it a go this writing is for anybody it's not just for people from a certain background or from a certain place in the country you know so i had a go in, at writing a book and you know i'm, I'm quite proud of it. it's been a, quite a few years now since i've actually read that book um and definitely a few years since i wrote that book and it's, it was a good experience and i also as, as part of that managed to get out a little bit into some of the spoken word kind of places around portsmouth and and do some readings at a few different events and you know, I was lucky enough to do to read at Victorious Festival, which is a big music festival we have here in Portsmouth. So it did open up a few other areas to me. And it also kind of made me realize that teaching is a career that can open up other avenues to you as well. You know, a lot, there are a lot of teachers, they say, are sort of frustrated actors or frustrated writers. And I think, you know, maybe I'm somewhere in there with my writing is something I really do enjoy doing. And it it opened up that little avenue to me and it's, it's still something I enjoy now. So every week I pick a child in my class and I write a poem about them as a sort of reward thing. And I've, I've done that for, for years now and it, it, it's something I enjoy doing and they get a really big kick out of it. And I, I love the, I love the sort of both sides of that in terms of the leading by example, in terms of like I said, other teachers or people that, you know, that conversation about, well, I did this and this was the result and, and this is the positivity of things that have happened and maybe the the opportunities that have come with it, as well as the, the leading by example in terms of being the adult with the children around, you know, that kind of, oh, wow, you've written a book or, you know, wow, you've done this or, or just your ability and your interest to say, well, you know, you say if you're, if you're writing a poem about every child, not every teacher is going to do that, but their experience with you in that scenario just opens up a whole new understanding of world as well, which I absolutely love. So let's also talk a little bit about senior leadership. Obviously, you talked about being involved in in setting up the app and and the curriculum and that kind of thing. So tell us about your experience of, of getting into those sorts of roles and, and some of the research and some of the things you've been involved in. Yeah, so, you know, I'm a member of the senior leadership team at my own school, Stamshaw Junior School, and uh, it's something I was kind of on the fringes of in my old school, but much more involved in, in, in my new in my new setting. And one of the things I've done along that way is to do a national professional qualification in senior leadership. Uh, so that's a course where you, there's a lot of course content. You have to uh, go to lectures and be released from class to do that. But alongside that, you have to run a project. Um, and I, I ran a project about reading, reading for enjoyment and also analyzing data. So that's something as a senior leader, you have to become very accustomed to how to actually delve into that data and make it useful and make it something that you then take action from i mean for me as a leader there's no point in having data without action if you've got a load of data that's that's one thing but it's how you use that data and then the kind of strategic approach you take after having evaluated that data so that was something that my research project was about 
uh, we found that we had children who weren't always making great progress in their reading but the only data we had was almost uh, like raw test scores so we delved into that data a bit more to see whereabouts within those tests they were needing to to do more so was it their summarizing skills their predicting skills was it their inference so we took those skills and we analyzed more so where those children needed to make the improvements fed that back to the teachers and asked the teachers to make to make sure the focus of their reading lessons was on the areas where those children were perhaps weakest so it was really just using data to actually make a positive change rather than just having data looking at it and then not taking kind of steps to do something with that data so alongside running that project as part of the mpqsl uh, if anyone's looking to do that qualification you have to write up a report that goes alongside that uh, that explains how you involve different stakeholders in the school how you involve parents what the what the feedback was on the project how it was run how it worked so yeah, it was, it was a big learning curve for me because for me as a leader, some some areas of it that I found difficult uh, is sometimes having those difficult conversations with people, trying to bring people on board with projects. Um, as someone who works in a school, there's always lots of new projects, new initiatives. And when you're trying to bring people on board with that, they're not always, it's not always everyone is really gung-ho to do it. Sometimes they're a little bit hesitant. So it's, it's trying to sort of, build that respect from people that if you ask them to do something you're asking for a good reason and it's something that's going to benefit the children and benefit the school so so that's that's for me an important important part of leadership and something i learned through doing that course about bringing people with you and actually saying to people giving people a rationale for the decisions you make and the things that you want to do and hopefully them then signing up to your vision and, and what you want them to do it was a, a very uh, interesting learning curve for me having to lead some of these bigger projects and take that step into a bit more of a senior role um, and it's sometimes difficult as a leader when you're having to have those slightly more challenging conversations i think what i really like about that is having heard heard you at the beginning of this conversation talking about the app and you're obviously you're passionate about reading and your vision and and the development of the school in the last couple of years it then makes even more sense in terms of like you said not just having had a having had a qualification or but it's that understanding it's that study the reason for doing it and that ability to see that sort of big picture as an as an and like I say a leader within the school to be able to to sort of make that happen and it's always about that person to person isn't it like you say because the conversation you have with one person might be slightly different with someone else and depending on the the their their experience and their age and, and all of that kind of thing so I think it's, it's really great to sort of hear those hear those two things in 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 context so education obviously you have sort of two hats in terms of now you're you're the professional in school but tell us a little bit about a teacher and experience that you can remember from when you were younger and and how maybe that experience affected you then but also how that maybe is is taking you into the way that you like to conduct yourself or or, or show up in your own school yeah so for me I, I find it very strange that very very large proportion of my secondary school and this was of no disrespect to secondary school colleagues who are listening but a large proportion of my secondary school education I cannot remember at all I cannot remember almost any lesson that I did in secondary school which is a shame I can remember some experiences from that time but I can't really remember the lessons and then I look further back in history so you think it would be harder to remember to my primary education 
And I've got a lot more memories of that. And I think that's partially to do with the experiences you get in primary, the topics, the assemblies you do to parents, the little performances. And perhaps that's not the fault of secondary education, but you don't get those opportunities afforded to you so much in the secondary environment. So for me, a lot of my strongest memories come from earlier on in my life when I was at primary school. Something I remember a lot is doing a lot of getting up and speaking in front of people, the, the dramas, the acting. I had an opportunity when I was 11 years old to take part in a reading aloud competition where I went and read the animals of Farthing Woods and put on all the voices and did the animal voices and won a trophy for speaking aloud and reading aloud. And for me, that's something that's always really stuck in my mind, even though I was only 11 years old when, when that happened. Um, and that's a big part of my own philosophy of, of education. It's not about those individual lessons. A child is never going to come up to you. Uh, the first class I taught now are 22 years old. And I've seen some of those guys 22 years old and I taught them when they were 10. And they never come up to me and say, I'll always remember that lesson about long multiplication. But they will come up to me and say, I'll always remember that theme week we did where we got to make our own band for the week and we made t-shirts with fabric pens and we designed our own logos for that band and we learned a song or when you did that five-a-side football week with us. It's those experiences that really stick in the mind of the children and that's, that's borne out by the fact that whenever I meet an ex-pupil of mine, they always mention the trip we went on, the theme day we had. And I think they're the best memories from my own education. Yeah, I love that. And I think there are a couple of things that just strike me. One, I completely agree, because those are the things I remember as well. It, it wasn't the, this is the time I learned this. It was the feeling that I got or the overall experience. And, you know, as a musician myself, you know, the arts and all of that is something which I think is incredibly important for children to experience. And and also, like I said, your direct memories in terms of speaking and that, having that sort of now obviously fed back into your love of English and, and all the things that you've done related to the stuff we've spoken about. But interestingly, in terms of what you said about secondary education, and and there's a, a whole different podcast debate in, t- in terms of the way that secondary education works like that. And, and, and the more conversations I have with people and organizations that are putting things together, the more and more convinced I am that it doesn't need to be as different as it is. You know, it's very obviously structured towards GCSEs and A-levels and all that kind of stuff. But there is stuff around the peripheral. I mean, we did a, a, a podcast recently with the um, Amazon um, Longitude Explorer Prize and, and sort of being able to use sort of social ideas and STEM to put together to create new things and children following their passions for those children who are that little bit older. And it's it just sort of it's come slightly left field, I think, than sort of directly within the school sometimes. But once people realise it is possible... Um, I think, like say, even as you get older, then you get that same kind of relationships and that same kind of sense of of what it's like to learn in a certain way. And I hope more and more of that certainly heads into secondary as well as the primary. So has there been a great piece of advice you've been given or some advice you'd give your your younger self now that you think would really benefit people listening? Um, I think if I could give some advice to myself when I was younger, be to have a little bit more self-belief about my own academic ability. I always felt like I was someone who was quite middling with my academic ability. But looking back now with the benefit of hindsight, I think that I actually had the academic ability to go on and have done more in an academic setting. 
uh, when I left secondary school at the age of 16, I went to do a vocational sort of route, um, went to, to music at college, which is something I really enjoyed. But looking back now, I feel like I should have kept the music going as a passion and and tried to do that, but also tried to keep a little bit more of an academic side going as well. But I guess it was something to do with self-belief or feeling like I didn't have the academic ability to do that, which held me back from doing it. And okay, it was it was kind of great that I followed something I was passionate about and enjoyed, and I would give that encouragement to anyone to try and do something you enjoy. But looking back now, I, I wish someone had taken me to one side and said, you've got the ability, you've got the academic ability, go and do English A-level, go and do sociology A-level, which is something I was very interested in at the time. And hey, it hasn't held me back. I've still got a career that I really enjoy and I still get to do writing now, which is a big passion of mine. But I do feel that looking back, I should have been encouraged or I should have had my own self-belief to take a slightly more academic route. I think it's incredibly important, isn't it, that kind of breadth. And we have spoken before on the podcast about sort of the idea of a mentor. Um, and I think sometimes as you get into secondary school, everyone has a conversation about any given subject, like you're saying. It can be music, it can be English, it can be whatever. And, and it's quite hard to get an overall perspective about where you are in all of that um and like i say if you have a lot of self-belief then people can just go and do what they like <laughs> but we know as a teenager that can be incredibly difficult and i think having that facility whether it's in school or out school or just having that one person who can take you as a whole person and like you say point out your strengths your weaknesses where your passions are but also saying but you know i know you haven't really thought about this but i can really see x y and z like you say whatever those options happen to be and i think wherever people can find that and I think sort of in our context in terms of of even in the education world you know having someone around you that can just you know show your strengths which might be something you don't necessarily immediately see or or understand how you're making a big difference to the community you're working in I think is is really really important so I think wherever you can find them either by sort of searching out for them specifically or just surrounding yourself with a group of people who know you well enough to be able to support you is, is a really is really great advice I really love that yeah I mean I've had so many people Mark over the years say to me um my 18 my 16 year old son and my 18 year old son or daughter They've got to make these big decisions about what they're going to do next in their education or in their uh, work life. And they they don't know what to do. They, they don't know what to do. And I think I'm not surprised they don't know what to do. 16, 18 years of age, you're very lucky if at that age you actually know what you want to do and you know the qualifications that you should go for and the route that you should take. There's very few people who are like that. They do, they do exist, but they're quite rare. And it's almost only... They do say youth's wasted on the young, don't they? It's only when you get older that you look back and you think, maybe that's what I should have done. And I think you're right in saying that there's almost, we almost put too much onus on children to make those decisions for themselves. And we want, we want children to be autonomous and make those decisions about their learning. But sometimes you do need that, just that bit of a guide and a bit of a mentor. Often that comes from parents, but if you can find a teacher or someone in, within a school who can who can mentor you and guide you, it's it's a very beneficial thing. Yeah, I love that, and and I think also what you said there is that as well as it's it's also not necessarily about the here and now. It has to be this because, like I say, you might not know, and and I think having all that experience around you is important. But if it happens to be that it's five years time that all this starts to fall into place, it means you've done the right thing for you at each of those 
sort of roadblocks as it were and, and then you can sort of like say you can you can always retrain find a new path the right person that guides you is, is whatever point and i think understanding that everything's a developing world that you sort of walk into and it's all being guided in some way or another without getting too philosophical i think makes you feel much more kind of relaxed in terms of life is just taking care of itself and it not being if i don't choose this path or this a level or this way everything's going to stop now you know take all that advice get those right people around you and then just allow it to happen in some way so just as we round off is there a resource um that you'd like to share and it can be a, a song a video podcast book anything anything you like but it's had a big impact on you um that you'd like us to know about okay so i'm gonna slightly i'm gonna slightly cheat with this one mark um i had a i've had a bit of a think about a song or, or a piece of music that i think has been a big influence on me um and I'm going to choose the song Alison by Elvis Costello. And the reason I'm going to choose that is because Alison, I, I love that song and I love Elvis Costello, but I also, the name Alison to me means so much because it's my wife's name. Um, and I'm going to, I just think for me, teaching is all about confidence. And if you've got someone in your life, maybe a partner, wife, husband, or a family member or friend who gives you that confidence, because it's not easy every day sometimes stepping out the door and going, to work in a school and all the challenges it brings so i just think for me some of the biggest impact on me is is my wife and my family who give me that confidence to go out and give me that inspiration and and boost my self-esteem so that i'm in a position where i can actually do a good job and help the children that i teach so yeah for me family friends people around you can make such a big impact on you and if you're lucky enough like i am to have someone who you can sound off against and run ideas past and make sure you're going on the right track. It just makes such a big difference. So, so that's why I'm going to pick Alison by Alvis Costello. Fantastic. I love that. What a great way to finish. And, and thank you so much for your time today. And I've really enjoyed, I know we've done a, a wide ranging conversation here about so many things, but I think sometimes it's just really amazing just to get a real sort of insight into into someone that's working in obviously such an incredibly important way as, as everyone is working in education but to really sort of nitpick through like you say some of the touch points in terms of the way your career's panned out your understanding your expertise some of the tools and the things that you use to make that happen i think is a real insight for many people who can then draw on that for their own experiences so james yeah thank you so much for being here today thank you very much Thank you to the National Association for Primary Education for their long-term support of the Education on Fire podcast. To get a free e-copy of their professional journal, Primary First, please go to nape.org.uk forward slash journal. That's nape.org.uk forward slash journal. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.